0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg.
1: And I'm Philip Sage. Hey,
0: Philip. Uh, I understand last time we talked, you were working for a company, and then I think you got bought. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and so you're still the same place, but new business cards. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so, uh, with a, uh, uh, We're a Baker Hughes company uh, through uh, Bentley, Nevada, which acquired Arms about a year ago. So the views today are mine and, uh, and or those that I expressed through my affiliation with the Central Queensland University and not those of Arms, Bentley, Nevada, or Baker Hughes.
0: And then those are all, what, trademark. Uh, business names or whatever. We had to put a little TM or copyright or something symbol. Yeah. It's yeah. radio. So I don't know how to do that. So we'll, we'll figure something <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> but hey it's been a while i'm glad you uh, we, we've got our schedules to out um yeah. and we got a chance to talk we were just catching up on everything from bushfires to weird projects we're working on and people we know and stuff like that it was, it was appreciated a chance to catch up with and i realized hey we got to hit record before we get too far <laughs> <into this." laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, we were, it's been a while and uh it's good to hear uh, your your voice again my friend and uh you know, we've been doing this for quite a few years, so it's always uh, fun to uh, spend a little bit of time together and talk uh, at a high level about uh, where things, uh, where, where we think things are at, where they may be heading. So what yeah. do you want to talk about today? Well,
0: I actually got a question a couple of days ago, um, uh, and it was through the About page on Ascendo Reliability. It, and that's one of many ways, and I'll talk about how to get questions to us when we wrap up. Uh, but the question was basically um, Do I know of a catalog of failure mechanisms and their acceleration models? They, apparently, they were working on, I'm not exactly sure what their product was or what they were working on, uh, but was interested in setting up accelerated testing or maybe ongoing testing or some form, and they wanted to do acceleration, but they were looking for all the various models. Because as you know, Ooh. Phil, there's any given product we have today. I mean, any given component probably has 15 different failure mechanisms possible for it. And uh, some may have models, some may not. Um, and yeah. then it, and then after that, it gets complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, my my quick answer to him was, um, you know, I really don't know Uh a meaningful yeah. or useful catalog. I know of, of a handful of things. There's lots of literature on all kinds of cool failure mechanisms. Um, but I don't know of anybody that's pulled it all together in a meaningful
1: way. Yeah, I don't, I agree. I don't think that, that something like that exists. Um, uh, certainly in the, there, there's heaps of databases that are available, uh, in, in if taken in context, like a and, uh, the rack databases and others, the, the IEEE gold uh, book uh, for electrical parts and uh, uh, you, uh, NWS uh, for uh, mechanical parts, you can build them up in a kind of a parts count factor to approach. But as far as uh, alt uh, accelerated life testing models, uh, being the uh, the next step in that direction for a, a consumer product, I don't know of any uh, catalogs and just the sheer magnitude of the work that would be required to develop a meaningful catalog in that space I think precludes uh, that, uh, that precludes it from existing
0: as a catalog I think it would be part yeah. of it and I know that the physics of failure of people you know, in the world of physics of failure at one point I think it was um, I think it was a, a variant of Rack the, remember the Rome um, was it there was a, a military group in the US and they were based in Rome, New York. So it was called the right. Rome Group or something like that. But it was, they were kind of the internal clearinghouse consultancy for military folks about reliability. And so they right. had uh, blueprints, they had, you know, how to manuals, a bunch of documents. And they, and they were kind of, if you really had trouble with using one of the military standards, really reliability, they were the people to talk to kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But at one point, they created a product, a uh, website called um, Warp W A R P, okay. uh, and I don't remember what it stood for. But it was basically um, a they they sat down and looked at the technical papers for specific failure mechanisms that had a what they called I'm using air quotes here a true physics of failure model, and. Mm. And so I thought, okay, you know, it was some, some of the work was done by Cal's on electronic components and some work was done by vendors and all kinds of other people, but they had a lot of stuff on steel and different kinds of stainless steels. And they had some electronic components and there was probably 50 or 60 papers that they cited and they pulled out the model and said, here's all the types of information you need. And then they didn't give you any parameters. I'm like, what did you stop there <laughs> you know and when i talked to him it was basically and i think it's very true is that the chance that your particular application and environment and set of stresses um will be covered by this model is slight <laughs> For yes. most models yeah. <laughs> so here's the structure of the model here's the key variables we think are involved now go do your own experiments to determine the the parameters that are relevant for your situation and I think that's fair and that might also be why we just don't see catalogs of you know plug and chug models for all this stuff
1: yeah you know, I the uh, uh, even to list uh, in, in the reliability space, if you were to talk in terms of Weibull equations and what would be the uh, the proper shape factors and uh, life, uh, characteristic lives of, uh, or the a's and betas, if you will, uh, that uh, getting a published list of that, uh, it, it, I'll just refer to the work that the late uh, Paul Berenger, I think- yep,
0: I was uh, thinking in the same way.
1: Yeah, uh, that he, he He publishes such a wide range along with a, you know, his, his thought uh, on a middle, but it really, uh, the, the, those values can uh, vary over a, a very wide range. And they really do depend on the operating context. And there are, uh, you know, the, the true world is that there are new, no two pumps uh, from different manufacturers that are exactly the same. So there is uh, a lot of uh, kind of soul searching in your own experiment and, and uh, uh, being able to establish uh, any type of parameter Uh, It has to be validated and and vetted with the team that's uh, currently working with that uh, particular item. And uh, that uh, you can't uh, uh, at at best, as as I think Paul did, uh, you can only publish a range of reasonable values that uh, you would encounter. And from within that range, (coughs) you did have to uh, arrive at uh, the the right values for each of those parameters. Well,
0: I remember it was one of them, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but the ranges were large. For an electric motor, I think it was, it might have been classified as a blower motor or something like that, so a specific type of system. But given that, it might be a one-watt motor, or it might be a 50-watt motor, and it might be 500 watts. It could go all over the map. It was all lumped into that same group. And if I remember right, the beta was like from minus 4, from f- 0.4, minus 4, that would be crazy, uh, 4, uh to 15. I,
1: yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, there are general guidelines that are out there. I mean, I've looked at solder joints so many different times and so many different geometries and stuff. And if the be- Weibull parameter f- for the beta value is not, between two and three it's a pretty good bet you did the experiment wrong kind of (laughs) thing um you know some bearings are in that kind of realm but there's when you start breaking it down by is it roller bearings is it ball bearings as you know is it what kind of lubrication are you using the numbers change and if it's an important project go figure out your own numbers
1: yeah yeah you have to um and at, at a high level, the uh, the RCM methodology really talks about the concept of an operating context, uh, and that uh, you really do need to take that down uh, to this level, uh, where you're trying to develop a, a statistical uh, parameterization and uh, assign the right parameters to get a a model to match the real world. And that's the key is that uh, your model has to match the real world. Otherwise it's not a very good model, is it? (laughs)
0: That's right. Well, that's been my argument. I, I actually got a a note the other day saying, I've been following your no MTBF website and articles since 2012. Jeez. I didn't know I'd been doing this for over 10 years. (laughs) And it was, it was made me smile. that somebody has actually, you know, Paying attention to that stuff and advocating for it and so on. Um, and, and in their discussion, it was a completely different question, but it was, you know, can I just use the failure rates? I'm having trouble. Well, no, it was, uh, I'm having trouble getting failure rates from vendors. And he says, well, what do you want failure rates for? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and two is, could I use their, their warranty period that they offer and derive the failure rate from that. And i like, um, all right, well, that might be a discussion for a whole nother day. Just don't do it. <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons for that. And instead, the conversation I tried steering him back to is like, well, what's the failure mechanism? You know, are you in a high vibration environment? Well, that leads to different classes of failures than if you're in a high temperature environment or a high humidity environment or, you know, off someplace else. Um, you know, figure out what's your vital few, what's the most likely for your given technology and application, and then start working from there. But the best place to start is just the literature. I don't, the the technical papers, um, and I don't know if it's still going, there was a, a really good component level, component technology uh, conference, and they would have 150 papers about, you know, the life testing for a specific failure mechanism in a specific technology of a specific kind of capacitor, for example, Mm -hmm. it was beyond nerdy. I loved it. It was great. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a great place to go look for, for insights and papers and models and stuff like that. And then if it happened to fit in your, in the work that you're doing, then you get gold. You can save a lot of time. Uh, but I, I find the idea of just doing a big catalog and you see it in some textbooks, they'll say, Oh, here's the activation energies for 15 different failure mechanisms that are common. And the activation energies are from 0.2 to one point two, you know, kind of thing. If we're, it's, they were broad ranges even in that. And i like, well, that's not useful.
1: Yeah. It, it's, um, it, it, it's the challenge that's been out there, uh, Probably since the, uh, the we started uh, really delving into the statistics, and uh, you know, and that work goes back uh, over 100 years that I, that we reliability engineers have been working with the uh, statistics, and mm-hmm. most people you know don't realize that. But uh, yeah, if you look back, some of the early research that was done on a variety of different things that were trying to establish uh, failure or the life expectancy of physical assets, uh, that those. Uh, studies were actually being done in 1915 uh, through 1930 uh, uh, in one uh, part of the world and uh, uh, other parts of the world uh, in even the 1800s the late 1800s the russian uh, telegraph company was cataloging the life expectancy of their uh, wooden telegraph poles and uh, uh, then trying to uh, predict and and, uh, uh, i think in uh, 1928 the uh, at t company was uh, complaining in their uh, regulatory submission to the state of New York that uh, their new electronic gear was failing much quicker uh, than they expected, and they needed more money to keep that uh, the, the early telephone exchanges. <laughs> you know, so we've been studying. I, you know, we've been studying this for uh, quite a long time, and and everybody's uh, had the same problem and we really uh, haven't solved. it. And I think you have to realize that every you know, even though we'd like to put things into a nice bucket and be able to have some commonality so that we could extend that data somewhere else, uh, there is a need uh, to understand what it is that you're studying and and why it's different, and uh, and uh, that uh, developing a catalog, if it was truly uh, to exist, uh, would be kind of like Paul Beringer's work, where at best you could you could say the range is typically. Uh, between these two values from what we've seen in practice.
0: Yeah. And see, I think that it does a disservice to our industry to to some extent. And I, my logic is, and I've seen people do this, and they go, well, it's a range, I'll pick the middle of it and go with that. Or I'll worst case it, I'll, I'll put it on the edge that gives me the most conservative answer. Or they'll, we'll play tricks with those ranges so that, Either we get the answer we want or we get a conservative answer to guard it somehow, but it's, okay. it's, I don't think that's, well, one, it's not, it's not that it's not ethical. Well, if you're trying to get the answer you want, then it definitely isn't, but it's also, you're kind of ignoring the power of these models and, and the prior work that's been done is what is it about that, that I can build into my, do I have the data to sort this out or can I do an experiment to get it clean for my application or am I? but too many people skip that this model was for, oh, plastic encapsulated lead frame parts by Motorola. And they figured out that if they expose it to some humidity at this temperature, the bad parts will fall out and we can mm. figure out if our process is stable or not, you know, kind of thing. And that eighty-five, eighty-five test is used in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different products and different kinds of systems. I even ran into it for um, solar <laughs> panels. They put the uh-huh. whole panel in a chamber at eighty-five, eighty-five, and I'm like, "What are you testing for? What is it you're evaluating? How do you know that these stresses are even rel-
1: yeah. related
0: to anything you care about?" And they're yeah. like, "We don't. That's the standard."
1: Yeah. Well, and. In- uh, several years ago, I was involved with a project uh, working with the, uh, the Naval Academy, who was uh, putting a, a small microsat in, into orbit on STS. I think it was 127, one of the shuttle launches. They had some extra payload space, and the, um, the, the space hardware had to go through all these stress tests. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the funny part about the story was, it, from a reliability, it was a, a reliability perspective, it was a bit of a disaster. But the, the uh, communication boards were uh, put into a heat chamber and left overnight to absorb the heat. And uh, not one, but both thermocouples on the uh, furnace failed. And the furnace turned full on while nobody was there to watch it. In the oh, morning. Wow. All that was left of the space hardware that everybody had worked so hard to <laughs> design and build was a small pile of ashes. And they had about two weeks to build another one, get it through the the testing cycle, get it inside the SAT oh, and get wow. that SAT down to the Cape before, uh, so that it could get launched.
0: And it had to fit into its shoebox yeah. size space that it had allocated. To. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, no, it's, uh, I've had more than one occasion where the, the, the part that fails in your accelerated testing is either the system that's applying the stress or it's the system measuring what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that definitely happens. But it's the I've I've run into people that are, you know, have a, a, a capacitor, you know, an electrolytic can capacitor. Very simple, basic device used on all kinds of applications. And they're all worried about dielectric breakdown. And yeah, if you punch too much voltage across this thing, it'll it'll break it. Um and then mount it so it's standing proud, you know. And so any vibration, those leads just bend all over the place and the thing falls off. He says, you know, just because you tested it for voltage, you didn't even explore its susceptibility to vibration and and how it's used and those kind of things. And But we tested it. I'm like, yeah. I've told you this story one time, I'm sure, is these guys were doing a a little wrist uh, fitness kind of band and they went to a, a swiss watch standard for water uh, resistance for uh, water it wasn't waterproof but water resistance and the, the literally the standard said dunk it in a 1 meter of water pull it out shake off the excess water if it's still working you're good <laughs> <laughs> come on you guys are engineers you gotta know that this doesn't make any sense at all and of course all of their samples failed a week later because it took that long for the corrosion to build because it was a very right. low voltage device but the the corrosion did occur there was moisture inside it and it just took a while for it to manifest as a failure
1: yeah yeah uh, no, it's uh, uh, I think the, the answer to uh, the question is probably there isn't uh, isn't anything out there in a, a useful catalog, but there is a lot of information that you can piece together.
0: Yeah, and I think more importantly is instead of looking for the catalog, is be cognizant that failure mechanisms are just all over the map of possibilities, from diffusion to corrosion to uh, 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 you know stress fracturing to you know all. I'm just drawing That list of types of mechanisms go all over the map, but depending on your specific material set and specific set of stresses and sequences of stresses, your time to failure will vary dramatically.
1: Uh, the uh, the same is true with uh, at, you know assets, and uh, the, you know example would be a motor and uh, its coupling and the motor bearing. Uh, you know, depending on how it's installed and whether it's misaligned and, and poorly uh in in in, in overloading the bearings and bending the shaft each revolution Mm -hmm. uh then the motor is only going to last a certain amount of time before the bearing on the on the uh, coupling end is is shot but also the coupling insert uh if you have to inspect the coupling insert uh, to figure out uh, why it's all worn up and beat up in pieces and uh you know no longer any good it's probably because it's misaligned and the, the corollary is if you install that uh that same motor uh, in and achieve perfect alignment, uh, dead nuts. Uh, that it's probably going to run, and some other failure mode is going to uh, rear its ugly head. But it may, in fact, run for twenty years. Right. So, you know,
0: or it's got bad windings, and it'll short out after two days. And
1: well, yeah, we'd, we'd like to think that we, you know, especially with Class F and H uh, insulation these days, that that we've got that figured out. But yeah. there's always the possibility that your motor may have come from somewhere else, or, or uh, it was built on the 28th or 29th of the month, and it needed to be uh, shipped yep. in order to count. And uh, <laughs> that you've got one of the not so good ones, perhaps. Right.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's one of the things I think, Philip, to, to summarize is that there's there's all these competing mechanisms at play. They're no, they're not just in line saying, "All right, it's your turn today. You you go cause a failure." It's, they're they're all reacting to the stresses and the environments and that they're in, and For the good of our business as reliability professionals, one of them will win and cause a failure sometime at some point in time. And being aware of the range of possibilities and being curious about how things fail and what can fail and being able to learn about failure mechanisms, one to spot something that doesn't look quite right and then go figure it out, go learn it. Um, That's the catalog. That's much more valuable than a book that lists all this stuff, in my opinion. Um, And and then that experience, then one makes it difficult to get on airplanes, um, uh, as as my reliability joke of the day. Um, (laughs) And then it also gives you a sense of like, oh, we need to be aware of this bending that's occurring or this strain that's uh, applied in this case, or let's investigate that. And you get better and better at spotting things that are likely to lead to early failures. So it takes experience, but it also takes a lot of work to just go sort it out for your particular industry and technology.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well said, Fred.
0: Well, if you've got a question, if you're listening to this and you've got a question, as promised at the start, I'd let you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, uh, go over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S-O-R. There's a couple of ways you can leave us a a message there. You can find Philip and I and the other hosts of the show on LinkedIn or on our, through our about pages on Ascendo. So uh, uh, lots of different ways to get in touch with us. And we do enjoy hearing the questions because it makes for good discussions and things we get to talk about. As a bonus, you get an answer uh, or we try to give you an answer or, reference or direction or things to think about uh, as quick as we can. Uh, But it also allows us to share these kinds of questions with a broader audience. And that's, I think the idea. So certainly appreciate the question and uh, look forward to hearing from from you as the listener, what questions you have. Uh, So with that, Philip, hopefully uh, we didn't run across too many failure mechanisms in the making of this one. So I think we're good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's cross our fingers. Always a pleasure, Fred. Take care of yourself.
0: All right. Thanks, Phil. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.